a new book edited by University of Warwick Professor of Economics Mark Harrison, sheds new light on the Soviet Union and Joseph Stalin's regime. The book is called Guns and Rubles, The Defence Industry in the Stalinist State, and it brings together economists and historians to scour formerly closed Soviet archives to discover how Stalin used rubles to make guns. In the first of a series of podcasts about his book, Professor Harrison discusses Stalin and the Great Terror. The book that I'm going to talk about, Guns and Rubles, uh, was written by a little group of uh, five people who've uh, worked together over a number of years. Uh, much of the work has been done in Hoover, but a lot of it has also been done in Moscow and other places in order to uh, make this book happen. So what light does the book throw on Stalin's system of rule? Much of what we cover is uh, not new in the sense that it's been known for a long time that Stalin uh, relied heavily upon uh, terror and upon the loyalty of a very small group of people around him whom he treated very badly. I think one of the things that is new in the book is to show how he combined terror with other instruments of rule. And, of course, uh, this is something that we know about all rulers, that nobody rules by one means alone. Uh, it would be impossible to rule by terror alone, for example, because in order, to, in order to implement a policy of terror, you have to have people who are loyal to you to carry it out, and you cannot simply terrorise everybody. So Stalin used a number of means to rule. One of them was terror, another was uh, to reward the, the closest people around him. But a third thing that he had to worry about was his foreign enemies. Stalin had enemies everywhere, and that's, I think that's part of being a dictator. In order to climb to power and then hold it, uh, you uh, alienate large uh, numbers of people in the country and also outside it. Uh, so Stalin was always very concerned about external defence. Don't forget that the Bolsheviks came to power as a result of a, first a foreign war, World War I, and then a civil war in which they had to fight off their internal enemies. And uh, Stalin was very concerned about ensuring the military security of his regime. And one of the things that he set about doing at an early stage was to build the country's military economic potential, which meant building up its uh, military security uh, and its armed forces. One of the things that we see in the mid-20th century is that it was very difficult to do this quickly. The world had entered an era of mechanised warfare in which armies depended upon the supply of thousands of tanks and guns and aircraft, which required big uh, mass production factories to supply them. And to create a, a domestic base for this uh, took uh, quite a number of years. In fact, it, it took essentially 15 years from the mid-1920s, when the Soviet economy was at a very low state, to uh, uh, 1941, when the Second World War came to uh, Russia. And if you think about uh, a dictator who is trying to rule, uh, relying in part upon an instrument which takes years to build up, one of his main, main concerns is, what do I do now, in the interim, while we're waiting to build up the armed forces? Uh, Stalin was very concerned about the danger that uh, external enemies could see his weakness and could uh, form a coalition with internal enemies to overthrow him before he had built up his means of uh, ensuring security. And his uh, fears were particularly uh, exercised by the Spanish Civil War, in which... Um, as you may know, the concept of the fifth column originated. One of the Spanish uh, Fran Francoist generals was asked which of his four columns would take Madrid, and he answered, the fifth column will take Madrid. That's my column that I have already inside the city gates. Uh, Stalin was very impressed by this and formed the idea uh, that since the country was full of people who hated him because he had repressed or dispossessed them, he needed to deal with them in advance. And so uh, one of the things that we see in the 1930s is Stalin trying to balance between... Uh, uh, his uh, military instrument, 
and his uh, to control the external enemies and his use of terror to control internal enemies. And at a moment uh, when he felt that uh, he wasn't doing enough in terms of the armed forces, uh, he launched the Great Terror uh, to fix the enemy within, to exterminate them essentially, in advance of uh, the war which he was sure was coming. And the Great Terror, how was that viewed? I mean, it seems quite an irrational thing to do now, but what was the rationale behind it? Well, it's not completely unknown. If you look through history, you you do find uh, uh, some parallels when uh, rulers faced with a sudden external threat turned on their internal enemies. Uh, In many ways, it seems irrational because you'd think, well, when you're faced with an external threat, isn't that the time to unite and solidify? And that's the case if you're confident of the loyalty of the people around you. But if you're not, there can be a clear incentive, I think, to think to yourself, well, if I am to face off this external threat, I must first ensure that the people around me are loyal, and that means getting rid of the people who aren't. And so uh, my view of uh, Stalin's use of terror at this point is that essentially it was preemptive. Uh, we think of criminal justice in, in the West as being normally either deterrent or punitive. You know, you want to uh, deter crime or you have to punish it. In this case, Stalin was punishing people who had not committed any crime yet. He was punishing them because of the crimes they might commit if war broke out unexpectedly. I think he thought that he was doing something that was quite necessary, quite rational. Uh, Historians often write about Stalin as being paranoid, but I think it's important to bear in mind this is just a metaphor. Uh, Stalin was not insane in any clinical sense of the word. He was perfectly in control of himself, in control of his feelings, in control of his actions. He could be very patient. These are not uh, habits that we associate with people who are clinically insane. So when we say Stalin was paranoid, we don't mean that he was uh, clinically so. We just mean that he did fear a lot of enemies, uh, many of whom were not enemies yet. So the Great Terror, how many people were executed? The Great Terror had two layers, and there was a visible layer and an invisible layer. Uh, The visible layer consisted of a lot of show trials where people were very visibly put on trial for being all sorts of things, traitors, spies, and so on and so forth. Uh, most of which they were entirely innocent of. But this was done at a visible level to often very prominent people to ensure that the population understood uh, what they were being told about how they should behave. There was also an invisible layer which uh, came to light in its full, um, uh, I think, horror uh, only when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed and the archives became freely accessible. The invisible terror took the form of uh, the uh, identification and execution of some 700,000 people. And this was done in secret, it was done in a very methodical and mechanical way. And it simply consisted of going through uh, the file notes of all the usual suspects, uh, pulling them together and uh, sending them off into the forests and the cellars to be shot. And this was done very secretly. There was was no sense of uh, wanting to make a spectacle of it. Uh, so it wasn't this aspect of it was not done to deter or to enable society to draw any lessons. Uh, in fact, uh, in many cases, uh, the, the victims' families did not know. They were often told that they had been sentenced, for example, to 10 years without the right of correspondence. And it was only when 10 years passed and their loved ones did not return home that they began to realise there must have been more to it than that. He wasn't using the Great Terror as a way to warn any potential enemies, if it was all done quite uh, This discreetly. aspect of it, no. I think that the show trials clearly had that purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very public and 
I, th I think often, yeah, we, we need to think of Stalin as a, someone who was an educator. He saw himself as educating the people around him and the public in his world outlook, which was that the world is full of enemies, full of dangers, uh, the worst danger is that they all get, get, get together, and therefore at all times we have to maintain vigilance uh, against them. And uh, part of his way of drawing these lessons was uh, to essentially to fabricate conspiracies, even if they didn't exist, just so that people would learn the right lessons. Um, but when it came to the, the, the so-called mass operations of the Great Terror, uh, the secret uh, aspect of it, these were people whom Stalin no longer wished to educate. He just wanted to eliminate them to make sure they were no longer there uh, if and when, as he thought, almost inevitable war would break out. By doing so, he hoped to buy time, you see, to build up uh, the defence industry, the armed forces, uh, to be ready for the attack when it came.